Tate Chronicles now transmitting. Welcome to the Tate Chronicles on Healthcare Now Radio. And now, here's your host, Jim Tate. Good day, citizens of the free world from border to border, coast to coast, and to all the ships at sea. I bring you a warm welcome. This is your correspondent, Jim Tate, and thank you for tuning into the Tate Chronicles. Join me as we cut through the fog that exists at the leading edge of healthcare technology. I'm really pleased today, uh, calling in from uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, my guest is Jason Barr, the Vice President of Healthcare at IDME. That's ID.me, is actually the URL, easy to remember. IDME is a leader in digital identity and credentials and serves as a secure front door for such entities as the IRS, Social Security, and Veterans Affairs. Jason, welcome to the Tate Chronicles. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. You know, I know IDME, uh, again, as I mentioned, uh, does verification validation across quite a few domains. Today, we're going to be talking about healthcare, which is the area that uh, you're certainly focused on and, and you work at IDME. I, you know, one of the greatest challenges in healthcare is the issue of patient identity and matching. Basically, who you are is who you say you are. Kind of sounds simple, but there are so many challenges. Uh, and so I'll ask you first, Jason, why is patient identity important? And maybe what are some of the challenges to it? Well, thanks for the question. Uh, patient identity is, is really the first step in allowing a, a patient to access clinical records, you know, uh, guided by HIPAA, CMS, the TEFCA framework. The, the information is at high risk for fraudsters to steal and leverage. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of fraud in healthcare when it comes to claims, payments, prescriptions. And so it's critical that when, whether it's patients or providers or staff accessing clinical records, that there's a high level of security and trust that the person is who they say they are online. And one of the biggest problems with digital identity today is that as software and the digital platforms across healthcare and all the different ecosystems were created, everyone created their own login and portal. And fraudsters have been able to steal enough information to answer simple knowledge-based questions or validate, um, you know, simple cell phone texts. Mm -hmm. And so it's important that we go to the next level and create a really trusted and portable identity so that patients can access their healthcare, not just in one place, but everywhere that they visited across providers, patients, hospitals, pharmacies, laboratories, clinics, uh, clinical trials and testing. There's just so many different platforms that patients are required to memorize or reset to access their healthcare for, for the right amount of care. And uh, that's the problem we're trying to solve. You know, um, there's really actually two tracks here uh, as, as far as I can understand, Jason. One is, uh, Knowing that the who the patient is and being clear that uh, we've identified a unique patient uh, identity. Um, the the other side may be for identifying 
uh, and validating the provider. And so I, I believe you do work around uh, the prescription of controlled service, prescription of um, controlled prescriptions, you know, to pharmacies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's got to be done. How do you actually do that? How do you identify and validate those providers? Sure. So there are different standards of um, patient identity. And so, you know, according to NIST, the CMS, ONC, and the the TEFCA frameworks, Mm -hmm. um, everyone accessing clinical records is or will be soon required to identify at what we refer to as IAL2, Identity Assurance Level 2. And what that requires is a few steps of documentation and a picture uh, a selfie or and or a video call that gives a very high level of assurance that the person is who they say they are. And in put um, in the pandemic, you know, no one could really go to the doctor and everything rapidly went digital. And so uh, the DEA um, created new frameworks for electronic prescription and it was widely adopted. And what that requires is for electronic prescriptions, a provider must valid, verify their identity once, and then they can write standard scripts. But when they do electronic prescription for controlled substances, the DA requires them to verify each time with multi-factor authentication. So if they're writing three scripts for three patients, they have to do the MFA step three times. And... So what we do is we verify them and give them a very easy, frictionless uh, process mm-hmm. that through their electronic prescribing platform, and there's many out there, um, they are able to quickly and easily get that done. Uh, so they don't have to, you know, if you remember, we, we probably all remember, you needed some kind of controlled substance. They had to write it out on a piece of paper. He had to go to the doctor's office, pick it up, hand deliver it to the pharmacy and wait for it. And sure. now... We don't have to do that. So that step's been simplified by having a a high level of patient or provider identification and verification so that healthcare works easier for the patient. You know, one thing that um, I've encountered, and it's it's fascinating, you bring up topics of different levels, I guess, of integrity of individual (laughs) identification. So I guess it's financial websites, or I can't remember what, but sometimes I've uh, come up, uh, I guess, a website, and in their attempt to identify me, I'll be asked questions like, did I ever own a certain kind of car, or did I ever live at one of these five addresses, things like that. Uh, That seems like a a pretty low level of identification, because that information could probably be scraped off the internet. Uh, is, is that correct? And so that level of identification probably uh, wouldn't meet the um, criteria uh, requirements for whether a provider is e-prescribing or for patients, or would it? No. So, Jim, it's funny you bring that up. That's called knowledge-based assurance. Mm-hmm. And so the old way, the original way of verifying identity was – you know, how do you validate somebody is who they are? Well, everyone, almost everyone, and, and actually, let me come back to that point. Not everyone has a credit report or um, is, is certain demographics have a lot of trouble uh, with systems being a credit bureau database. So 
Um, I'll come back to solving that problem. But the next problem is if you are in the credit bureau and they ask you questions from 7, 10, 15 years ago, the fraudsters actually have a higher pass rate for knowledge-based questions than individuals wow. do. And so we, we, act, we actually don't do that. It's called KBA. We don't do the standard KBA. We have a, a level up on that KBA policy where we actually require document verification or telecom verification if, if a customer wants to use the, the knowledge-based questions. Mm. Um, but then we've got multiple levels above that where it's basically more evidence um, and documentation, pictures, um, we do various record checks, um, kind of live as someone's verifying. So each level increases the probability and the certainty that someone is who they say they are so that they become trusted to access the information that the customer wants to provide. So for instance, you talk about financial or government institutions, you know, veterans affairs, social security, IRS, um, 15 other federal agencies, 37 state agencies, 600 brands, uh, many, many dozens of healthcare companies all use the IDME verified identity. And what's unique for us is that our CEO and founder, Blake Hall, created a new identity verification platform because the problem with the existing solutions at the time 10 plus years ago was you could get verified but you could only use that at one digital property mm, mm. and so everywhere you went you had to get re-verified which is a, a pain right let me find my driver's license my whatever other documentation passports and so when you get verified with IDME at the IRS let's say and then you go log into a healthcare provider that uses our identity you're already verified and trusted. And so we share that information with each one of the customers and say, you don't have to re-verify. And we have one third out of every American adult is already verified on the platform with over 50 million of them already um, verified at the highest level, that IL2 certification that can access healthcare. So typically when we launch a new customer, 40 to 50% of their population that needs to access their solution is already pre-verified, creating that portability and that frictionless um, experience for the user. Um, to focus uh, uh, on healthcare, uh, it, it's uh, to me it, it seems like there's probably two major areas that we could discuss. One is uh, actual uh, healthcare delivery to a patient, patient care. We need to know that the information in front of the provider or that the patient can access uh, or the algorithms, clinical decision support algorithms, the data that's there is just on one patient. Uh, and then there's another side where uh, if your uh, patients have been misidentified, the whole billing concept can be an absolute nightmare. But let's just focus on the uh, patient patient care delivery of healthcare side a little bit. Um, a, a generation ago, um, somebody would walk in uh, to a hospital or an ambulatory practice, there'd be a paper chart. And there was no other mm -hmm. data coming in from any, any other source. 
But now, uh, with the expansion of interoperability, which is, you know, certainly uh, the desired uh, holy grail, uh, the fire standards, HL7, DICOM for radiographic images, uh, TEFCA, which has just announced the first qualified health information networks, um, data is coming from, from all over. Uh, patient information is coming from all over. And it's probably more, well, no doubt, it's more critical than ever that the data that's being pulled into a patient's record is that patient's information and nobody else. Uh, so this seems like it, it doesn't matter how great our interoperability is if we're not really identifying the patient. Um, it, you know, um, just the healthcare potential uh, nightmare there is just gigantic. And so um, uh, just in, in the issue uh, around TEFCA, where um, uh, the different qualified health information networks, just kind of speaking generally now, Jason, are going to be uh, searching um, uh, across all the uh, TEFCA networks to bring in information about a specific patient. But they're different standards. Uh, or has TEFCA standardized how a single patient is identified? So that is the goal of yep. TEFCA, right? right. It is create a, a trusted exchange framework. That's the TEF of TEFCA that we're all mm -hmm. probably familiar with these days. And the way that that's getting built is, like you said, you, you know, years ago, we went from paper to digital healthcare information through the Meaningful Use Act. But everyone created their own platform, their own database architecture, and they could communicate you know, five, 10 years later within their own systems, if they're in sometimes they even had problems with that because through acquisitions and roll-ups, you'd have a whole health system that might still have different EHRs. And so, you know, a, a, a digital fax became the way that you shared the, the clinical information for a patient from one provider to the next, which isn't very useful. It's referenceable, but it's right. not consumable by the technology. And so you know, through Sequoia, Karen Alliance, Direct Trust, Kantara, they've all come together and we work with them through the Karen Alliance where we, where they bring us all to the table and say, we've got to work together for the good of the patient and making healthcare interoperability a reality. And so if we are going to, if the patient's going to request clinical information like you talked about the QHINs, that request goes out to the QHIN, and we just actually were part of Otis Health's first uh, TEFCA-approved patient request for clinical data. So they used an IDME-verified um, uh, identity, and then they requested the information from a QHIN. And then the back half of that, which is still under development, is that QHIN goes out and says, okay, I've got a verified identity, I've got a validator request, and now I can go out and request that information from the clinical holder. And those pipes are still being built, but you know, at the end of the day, what that does is it'll provide the patient with control over that information and they won't have to fill out that six page paperwork packet when they walk into each provider, right? I mean, how many times have you filled out your your background demographic information, your allergies, Sure. your medications in the last year. And so, you know, that will be the power for the patient 
and, and ease of healthcare interaction. And then on the back end, what that'll allow providers to do is say, give me the holistic picture of, you know, the last five or 10 years of clinical history for this patient to provide better care because I can interact with them knowing that I've verified their identity. They've given me consent which is another part of our platform that's critical is every time they access or request new information, they consent to releasing and sharing that information so that they can get access to that clinical information. And now that information can be consolidated both in the patient's hands and to the provider where that just doesn't exist in the past. And that is the key to successful interoperability. Well, and the issue of, um, uh, maybe two electronic uh, repositories, uh, for lack of a better word, we call them different healthcare networks. Um, and, and one of them, uh, there's been an inquiry from from one uh, to another, saying, "Send me um, data, clinical data on patient X, Y, Z." And being ninety five percent accurate in the response is not good enough. Uh, right. Yeah, and and so uh, to me, that's kind of the uh, critical thing uh, in all this: the the accuracy level. Um, l- let's kind of talk about some of the challenges to a patient identification or, or where things uh, can kind of creep in. Um, in. In my past, I worked in a large pulmonary practice, um, and the EHR we were using um, maybe a patient would come in with, with pressure and their demographics they had a hyphenated last name. Mm-hmm. And so uh, some people might just input uh, the second part of the hyphenated name. Some would uh, put the entire hyphenated last name in there. But um, if it bumped up against another system, uh, those patients, that patient might not be validated uh, across. So those, uh, it's not even a data entry error. It's just a kind of process. Uh, I guess lack of standardization. I'm sure that can happen very frequently, all the time. Or people get, or people get married, or people get divorced. So you mm-hmm. can't just go on name basis. Um, and, and so, uh, um, what are some of the, uh, I guess, discrete things that are used, uh, you know, from one electronic network to another to actually identify a patient? Uh, we, can't, we can't use social security numbers by federal legislation. And anyway, those have all been hacked anyway. So that's not good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, you, you know, that, that there seems to be a great potential for a gap there. And I guess that's the work ID me does is uh, trying to pave over that potential gap. Yeah, so there's there's really two elements that you're talking about here, and one of them is is identity verification. Mm-hmm. So, you know, patient, you know, authentic. You know, it's an authentic individual, and it's confirmed that they are who they are. And then there's a matching problem, mm. and they're different, but they're complementary to one another. So, you know, the source of these issues, like like we just talked about a few minutes ago, is you fill out a paper packet for intake at every single provider you go to. And then that is interpreted from your handwriting and then keystroked into the computer. And things also change. We kind of hit on all those points. So now Jason Barr can be in 15 different databases 
And, you know, I, I haven't changed my name. I haven't changed my social security number, but somebody might have misspelled my name. They might have hyphenated, spite, spaced it. They might have yes. gotten a, 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 a digit wrong on my birthday or my social mm-hmm. security number. Mm-hmm. And that could prohibit or complicate my ability to get care, especially when transferring critical records, let's say to a specialist or to a treatment. And the first step is when we're talking about digital healthcare enablement is this verified identity. So we have processes where the the vast majority of our users are able to go through the self-service flow where they can upload the documentation, take the selfie and, and be verified automatically. We also have what we call the trusted referee, which is a video conference call where we help and guide someone who's having trouble getting verification mm. through, let's say they had a name change or you know some element of their data changed. We'll have a conversation. They can produce those documents on video. We have a trained referee who's able to then provide that verification. And that's really important for certain demographics in the United States and across the world as well, um, because old methods would leave up to 30% of those individuals just not digitally verifiable. And we can get into the high 90s. Um, across all populations in terms of verification the first time because we have multiple methods to verify. Now, that's the process. What you end up with as an individual on the IDME platform is a universal unique identifier, which we call the UUID. And what that ID gives you is a code in the database that will never change. Once you are verified, that will follow you no matter where you're logging in or how you're using your identity online. And that's what verification does. The matching side pulls records and runs algorithms to try to match data without having always a unique identifier. Like we said, keystrokes on the social security, the birth date, the name can all be mistakes. And so trying to figure out, especially with common names, let's go with Mike Jones, right? The, the systems, have, have built complex algorithms to try to match those individuals. Well, if you pair those two processes together, we would enable the patient matching, and we are doing this now, to get a lot smarter as more and more people carry that universal, unique identifier with them. And when they log into the 15 different health systems, patient matching could first say, okay, the, the first 12 of these all have the right unique identifier because Jason Barr logged in with his IDME um, identity. And now I just have to triage these other three that he hasn't logged into yet and match to the data records. But now I have a base of mm. 12 different um, databases of information on one individual, which makes mapping easier. So that, that unique um, ID, is that uh, something that's in existence now? It is. Yeah. I mean, that is the core to our identity platform that makes it portable. Mm-hmm. So like I talked about earlier, once you verify anywhere on any digital property with IDME, you are verified at that level anywhere else you go. So if you if you verified, let's say, at a low level for access to something that you know wasn't critical healthcare or finance or tax information, 
And then let's say you go to a healthcare portal where they need you to be at that highest level, that IL2, we just step you up really easy, easily. We don't ask you to reproduce all the verification documents that we already have verified from you. We just ask you for what we don't have to get you to that level to access. So it creates a, a faster, simpler, frictionless environment for the user. You know, um, it's kind of hard to believe, Jason, but we're almost out of time here. But just kind of to sum up, it, it sounds like that um, w without a solution, which sounds like IDME has uh, uh, worked out, if, if, if we didn't have solutions like that, then uh, – the promise of interoperability doesn't matter how sophisticated the fire standards or AI or anything else is. If we don't have patient matching, it's just basically all a wash because the data couldn't be trusted. That's right. And, and the way that I look at it and we look at IDME is it is the first step to enabling interoperability. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a verified identity, you can't go downstream for any of the workflows that improve care across the entire healthcare ecosystem from providers to patients, to payers, to pharmacy. If you're gonna go fully digital, which we need to do as the world evolves and some other countries in Europe have already done this with universal IDs where you have one ID across your banking, your healthcare, wow. your digital driver's license, and they can use that digital identity wherever they need to online. And that's what IDME is looking to do for the United States. Uh, and we do international verification as well. But, for, you know, we're trying to help solve the U.S. healthcare problem um, in this specific segment because we do everything else online as a consumer. I mean, look how long PayPal's been around, right? Sure. So you can protect your, your payment information and you can use that that gateway with one single login across, uh, you know, countless different properties on online. Right. Why can't you do that for healthcare and exactly. enable yourself to track what's going on, communicate with different providers and enable those providers to take better care of you. Well, uh, finally, Jason, let me ask you this. How can our listeners find out more information about IDME services? Where do they go? Sure. It's real easy. So, we're on the web at id.me, id.me. Um, and from there, they can access all of the different areas that we support um, from the private brands to the federal um, verification um, portals to healthcare and um, learn more about what we do. And um, we're, we're constantly reinventing ourselves um, for new markets, for new use cases as the whole world goes digital. And one thing we didn't really get into today was fraud. Mm. We've got a, a global leading fraud team that uses AI and very sophisticated tools as, you know, fraudsters are bad, but they're not stupid. And they're constantly evolving to try to, you know, defraud the government and healthcare organizations. And we're constantly evolving and watching those. And so that's another service we provide for our, all of our customers, but especially in healthcare, we have got that active fraud alert. And so you can learn more about that at ID.me. Right. Well, to our audience, thanks for joining me on this episode of the Take Chronicles. Uh, of course, I'll offer a special salute to my guest today, Jason Barr of ID.me. Jason, thanks for coming aboard today. Jim, it's been a pleasure uh, and happy new year to all the listeners, listeners out there. Thank you.
You can find more information on this show's program page at healthcarenowradio.com. That's healthcarenowradio.com. Until we meet again, here's wishing you smooth sailing and safe harbors. Tape Chronicles transmission ending now.